0: Hi, you're listening to Calm Conversations, a mental health podcast by Calm Collective Asia. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Sabrina. Coming up in today's show.
1: The more we understand now about third culture kids and the effects of moving, the more we realize actually the story of TCKs is a story of of loss as well. Joy, but also loss.
0: So for today's episode, I spoke to Josh Tan. He's an art therapist by trade. And like me, he's a third culture kid or TCK. So if you don't know what that is yet, for the listeners, don't worry, he explains it in real detail. But ultimately, this conversation is about the struggles of finding belonging while growing up in an unpredictable environment. So Saab, you're not a TCK, but what did you relate to most in this conversation?
2: Wow, it, it was really interesting for me and very eye-opening. Because firstly, it was a completely different perspective from one that I can relate to right in a way um, I've grown up mostly in Singapore um, for me when I saw other kids who are TCKs in their own right it always seemed that they were in a privileged position and I guess you know the grass is always greener on the other side right um, so for me, the main takeaway was that okay, it's it's really important not to judge, and everyone goes through their own struggles, whatever it is, and it's not right to compare. Um, in terms of relating to the to the conversation, a lot of themes stood out for me. Um, so I think the first thing that came up was really that 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 sense of identity and finding your place in this world. For me, I I struggled a lot with fitting in um, into my social groups when I was growing up. So, when Josh shared about how he was trying to find a space, even until adulthood, right, that really struck a chord with me. Um, And the other thing that came up was the idea of transition objects as you move from one place to another, whether that place is, you know, maybe it could be a workplace or it could be a, a home, right? And no matter where in the world you are, having a transition object or something that's familiar that you can go back to or lean on, right, really helps you with transitioning from place to place. So yeah, those those were those, there were many things that I related to. What about you, Alyssa? What stood out for you and how did you find the conversation?
0: For me, I think it was a relief to just acknowledge some of the experiences that I've had and to realize that it's shared by somebody else. I think it's a universal thing that people want to be seen and there's power in telling your personal story, externalizing your feelings and processing them. And sometimes that's all you need, right? Just Have it be heard. Have it be acknowledged that it's something that someone else has gone through. Because if we don't talk about certain things, certain experiences, you end up feeling like you're the only person in this world dealing with it. And you feel alone. You feel by yourself. So what I hope that people can take away from this conversation is you don't have to feel alone. There are other people who've gone through difficult transitions in life accumulated losses of all sorts of things it doesn't have to be losing a loved one to death but grieving just like moving to a different house moving to a different country having to say goodbye to friends and the loneliness of that so I hope you all enjoy this podcast so here's the interview. Hi Josh thanks for joining us today.
1: Hey Alyssa thanks for having me it's a pleasure to be here.
0: So, how would you define what a TCK is?
1: Ooh, well, I would say a TCK refers to somebody who, in the early years of their life, 18 years and under, was raised in a different culture or country other than that which is on their passport or that which is their parents. So, uh, in short, born in one country perhaps and raised in another or several others, as is the case for a lot of people, and having to sort of form a culture that's sort of in between all that, you know, elements from different cultures they've lived in, that is quite uniquely theirs. And that is what the third culture sort of refers to, a third culture kid. And if, we, if I ever refer to adult third culture kid, that just means a grown up third culture kid.
0: Right. So take us through your story. How would you answer the question, where are you from?
1: Oh, man, that's a classic question. Um, and I think a lot of TCKs will, will tell you that they have a a short answer to that question and they've got a long answer and it usually depends on who they're talking to and and whether they think this person's interested or how much time they have so i would say the short answer is that i'm from singapore but the long answer or maybe i'll give the medium answer today is (laughs) is, yeah we've got time um, is that i was born in singapore but when i was six months old I, i moved to thailand with my family and so my parents are missionaries And so we we moved in lots of different towns across Thailand. At five I was sent to a boarding school in Malaysia because at that time there weren't a whole lot of international schooling options or English schooling options where we were. Um now there are a lot more so that it's changed. But um I came back to Singapore when I was nine and I was fortunate enough to stay here for a longer period of time. But when I was from thirteen to when I was sixteen, my parents left my sister and I here in a hostel, went back to to work in Thailand and at my late 20s I went to the UK to study and so I've just sort of more or less just come back from those studies and that's why I was doing my art therapy in the UK.
0: Right and in total how many times did you move around?
1: Mm, that's a really good question and to be really honest I didn't know um, for a really really long time. I never really was able to count. Everything feels very fragmented I think that there's this thing in, uh, for, the, for the longest time, I didn't feel like I could call myself a TCK. I, I think that there's that feeling like you have to have moved millions of times. You have to have been in more countries. And I remember growing up and thinking, oh, you know, I've only lived in three countries. I, you know, I've lived in Singapore for, you know, a third of my life. How do I even call myself a, a, a TCK? I don't feel TCK enough. But I think the reality of it is that one person who has lived for maybe two years in a different country, can still have the same sort of struggles that someone who's lived 14 years in a different country would struggle with. You can't really put a time limit on that. Mm. But it was only really until late 20s that I I started to really start processing all of this. And just a few years ago, I made the effort as part of my my art therapy uh, thesis to sort of track where I'd lived. I wanted to, to find out, my addresses, you know, the number of homes I'd lived in, because I had all these fragmented memories, but I couldn't place them in order. So the short answer to how many places at the end of the day, it was 27 moves in 30 years. And I think 13 to 14 unique places moving back and forth from those places.
0: Yeah. And I guess addresses as well, even more.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I actually did a table. It was, it was funny. Like, uh, I compiled a table with uh, my addresses, you know, how long I'd lived there, from which date to which date, you know, and tried to get a picture of it. Um, but I think the one that really stood out for me was in the first nine years of my life, I've moved on average every six months. Wow. Uh, I mean, that, that's not to say it was every six months, but you know, some places were two years, some places were maybe half a year. Yeah, and that varied. But there's definitely that, that characteristic for TCKs is a lot of change happening at a very young age.
0: Yeah, so you were about nine when you moved to Singapore. Yes. What was that like? Was there a reverse culture shock? What it was like to adjust back into someplace that is supposed to be your home?
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's supposed to be home, but it doesn't feel like home. And I think the... People always assume that children are very resilient, right? That's what they say. Oh, They're very, they're very resilient. They'll, they'll get over it really quickly. And it's not so much that children are resilient as that's all they can do really, just to adapt. And they might not necessarily have the vocabulary to describe what's going on for them. And I remember I really struggled coming back. It was so different from anything that I'd ever known. We'd only really been in Singapore longest for maybe six months. It was just, culture was different, the way that people spoke was different, but I didn't have the vocabulary to talk about it. But I think my body knows, my, my body knew at that time. and, and when you look at the idea of, of trauma and difficult experiences, adverse childhood experiences, often a lot of that is is stored in the body. And the body will respond even though the mind can't really put into words. And for the first week of school, I was throwing up every single day, it was primary four. And I remember the most embarrassing one was, I was taking a school bus every morning and I think it must have been the first or second day I threw up all over the steps of the school bus. and Can you imagine? Everyone's looking at me, right? And just feeling incredibly embarrassed. But it, it, it was a struggle. And it, it continued to be a struggle for many years just to feel like I fit in now I Singaporean.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask. I mean, you were the new kid. You threw yeah. up in a bus. Yeah. How did people treat you? And did they think that, oh, this guy's an outsider?
1: Yeah. Well... I think children will often just say what's on their mind. Mm. Um, and I think the only, the first time I found out that I was different, I mean, as a child, you don't really recognize differences. You sort of just assume everyone's the same. And the first time I recognized that I had an accent, for example, was when one of my classmates in primary four came up to me and he was like, hey, why do you speak with the accent? You know, why are you nooseguster like that? Yeah. And that's so that's where I realized, that, hey, actually, I have an accent. You know, I sound different. You know, it wasn't that he was insulting me. It was just, I was different. And he had, he didn't really have that experience.
0: After that, did you feel like you had to consciously code switch to try to sound more Singaporean?
1: And the thing is, I wanted to, but I can't really code switch. Mm. I know some people can, like code switching, switching between accents. So I was sort of like a chameleon that couldn't change its colors. Um, my accent just morphed over time. And and that sort of adds to the whole identity thing, because you're thinking, if my accent is always changing, then what am I? yeah. And add that to the the layer of the fact that when you speak with an accent like this, often in Singapore, you seem to be as, it seem to be someone who's quite posh, who's rich, you know, or this person must have been in the UK or, or, or the US, right? Or some people think you're faking it.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. So it's not something that I realized at that time, but I would get bullied for it. Especially because you know I'm a prefect, right? Everyone wants to find a way to get away, get the prefect, right? So for me, it was the accent. That's the thing that made me stand out. So I would have, um, you know, guys in my secondary school coming up to me and like, I think you should stop faking your accent. You should shut up. You know, things like that. Yeah, at that age, you just want to fit in, right? That's all you want to do. Yeah.
0: Well, looking back, um, what would you say are the benefits of this kind of childhood? Of you know, going to live in different places and having that privilege, I guess, of travel at an early age.
1: It definitely is a privilege. And, and I'll say that um, because to be able to see the world, right, for me to travel when I was five, you know, that, that's, that's amazing. And it's such a gift to be able to see so many different cultures. And it, it makes you incredibly adaptable, I think, really, really open-minded. Uh, and, and these are things that have been instrumental in, in, in my adult life. And if you look at studies of TCKs, adult TCKs, they will show very similar things. And many of them end up in places where they're often bridging between people because we're so used to filling in blanks, building bridges. I-, I would say that that's really important to bear in mind. I think sometimes when I talk about the TCK experience, people are like, oh yeah, you're just bashing. You know, you're talking about the negatives, but that- that's not necessarily the case. I think what it is, when we talk about issues that TCKs face, it's, it's not about trying to find fault uh, with-, with anybody or trying to find someone to blame. It's about information and knowledge is power, right? The way we understand our psyche is so different from many, many years ago. And it's gonna to continue to grow. And that that's exactly it. We're adding to our vocabulary about understanding what's it like for people moving between countries and cultures. Yeah. And how do we take that knowledge and make better decisions for ourselves and, you know, for, for our loved ones really.
0: Yeah. And I want to lead into the next question, which is, yes, there are privileges, but what do you think were the drawbacks of having this kind of childhood and ultimately repercussions on your mental health and just your sense of identity and all that?
1: That's a many part answer, I think. Yeah. But definitely just as a segue from privilege, I think you have that thing called what I call the dichotomy of privilege because you are in a position where you're traveling, you know, these are things that people won't necessarily have. And you're constantly reminded of that by the, the adults around you. Because you are in a place of privilege, you feel like you can't talk about the things that you are struggling with. You know, yes, there, there's, there's incredible things, and, and these are things that I really value, and, and I wouldn't have traded it for the world. But there's also a flip side to it, right? There's also things that you will struggle with. And because you feel like you're in a position of privilege, it, it feels like I can't tell anyone about it because I'm just complaining. And therein lies a problem, because if you stay silent about it, that impacts the mental health because it just compounds, really. And often it's when you feel powerless, when you feel like you can't really talk to anyone about it, that it creates these sort of spirals in your minds and beliefs about yourself. And I think that was very true for myself. When I came back, I didn't really have the vocabulary for it. But when I was 15, 16, by that time, I was really struggling with quite a deep depression and anxiety Uh, and I wasn't sure where it was coming from, really. I mean, um, at that age, you, you don't really understand these things as much. All you know is that, you, you know, you're told you have this. And I think looking back, a lot of that does come from a childhood that is, has so much change.
0: What were the things that you think you lost hmm. the most?
1: So when we think about loss, we often think about big things. We think about losing a loved one, passing away. But actually, loss is also present in the small things. Loss is present in having to move countries and losing your friends constantly. Um, I would make a good friend and then I'll lose it. Or would, and then I'll make another good friend and then I'll leave. You know, that was, that was the case in boarding school, at least. Uh, we, we never had addresses to give to each other. Uh, at that time, we didn't really have Facebook. So there was no way we could keep up. And what I've realized is I grew up with that belief that if I leave a place, that's it. I can't contact anyone from there. That's the end of that. And that's something that I realize I unconsciously do now. If I move country, I find it really hard to talk to people in the previous country because in my mind, it's, there's a click. Okay, I've got to completely move on.
0: In a way, that's just a coping mechanism, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So that's the way our brain copes with things, right? It builds up certain defenses so that we can continue to survive. And if you're faced with constant loss, these completely, these repeated cycles of loss, you know, losing fam- familiar food, smells, cultures, people, it can be really hard to find your sense of self because we, we often see ourselves reflected in the societies that we're in. But if you're constantly having to change yourself to try and fit in, it, it, it makes it hard for you to understand who you really are. You're a chameleon to the point that you're not sure who you are. And there, therein lies the identity crisis, right? And also the struggle with um, unresolved grief because these are all things that are happening whenever we move, but we're actually not really able to talk about it because it's seen as something really really normal how do you sit down and go oh actually i really miss people back there or actually i don't really want to move when your your parents business requires you to move right how do you say no you can't and love is out of your control so all these things are happening to you and you don't have that agency over it and it's when you feel that helplessness that just compounds that situation so in research, they find that the two main things that TCK struggle with is a sense of restlessness and rootlessness. The idea that I don't feel comfortable, that sense of dysphoria, which I definitely struggled with. I don't feel Singaporean, but actually I'm not Thai either. I don't speak enough Thai. You know, I'm not Malaysian either. What am I? Um, and then that, that rootlessness, that where, where is home then? And they really call it like a neither-nor world because they're sort of just in between
0: Yeah, I definitely feel that as well. Um, Just a bit of my story. I was born in the Philippines, hold that passport. But when I was seven, I moved to Indonesia. I moved to Singapore, Switzerland. Moved back to Singapore before going to Canada for three years for my university. And now I've been back ever since here in Singapore to work. And I don't look Filipino in particular. So there's always this confusion. Where are you from? Oh, but you're not local. Your accent sounds funny. All of that, and it's neither here nor there. Um, I've hung out with Filipinos and don't fully fit in. Hang out with Singaporeans, don't fully fit in. And it's, yeah, you're, you're kind of stuck in a place where you never... It's very hard to find your people who really understand why you act certain ways or why you say certain things or, um, yeah, it's just, I guess, a pretty unique experience being a third culture kid. And I, I definitely resonate with a lot of the things that you've said about identity you mentioned earlier how there was a sense of trauma with being a TCK. I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about that, because when I think about trauma, usually I think about really big events like, say, natural disasters, death. Can being a TCK actually produce trauma?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can. And That's a short answer, but it's quite a difficult one to accept. Uh, I, I know it sounds very strawberry generation, but if you think about the idea that, you know, trauma isn't necessarily just the big things. That's that's our common idea of it. There has to be a very big thing and an accident. But actually trauma is also in the little things. Um, and it, it forms a compound trauma. It, if you define trauma as simply something that happens to you, that you can't process, that you can't understand, that you can't deal with psychologically, that leaves trauma. And... As children, we're a lot more vulnerable to it because we don't necessarily have the ability to process it. And children need to co-regulate, which is with a, a safe adult or safe person around them to kind of go to them when they're under a lot of stress and to be able to process that together with them. It might be trying to help them find words, a safe person to go to, essentially. But when you're moving, the situation's always changing for you. And the, the safe person might be really busy with trying to handle their own move. Maybe your parents are busy packing you know which is the case for me you know um and it becomes a lot harder to meet those certain needs and and when the child is not able to to process that together it it can come out in in different ways It, it goes into like a fight or flight response because your body's under stress but it can't come down from that stress it can't process that stress and the thing about trauma is that it gets stored in the part of our brain that doesn't process the, the verbal thought, you know. So it's a lot harder to, uh, to, to speak about it. And, you know, we, we kind of say that the, the body remembers. And it's the body that kind of stores it. And that, for example, that was me throwing up, you know, that I was trying mm-hmm. to sh- show that stress. And the, the more this happens, it compounds. And, and you, you end up with that really hypersensitive part of our brain, which is called the amygdala which is like our smoke detector of the brain. And that's the one that's on the search for for danger, right? And if you're going through a childhood where you're repeatedly in places that are unfamiliar and it's constantly changing, your brain is overworking its its amygdala. It's constantly on the lookout for danger. Oh, you know, like for me in Thailand, I couldn't speak Thai. So I'm constantly reading everyone's expressions when they're talking to my parents. I'm reading the situation because I'm trying to figure out, am I in a threat how do I respond to this conversation? Do I smile and laugh along, or is he actually quite angry, you know? Your, your brain is constantly on that alert. And when it's constantly on that alert, that can transfer to adulthood as well. Because your amygdala is hypersensitized, right? So that's why I love of TCKs often are referred to as being overly sensitive as adults, or, you know, um, I was always told that I complained a lot, you know, things like that, or you know and and that can be really hard to hear because you end up just judging yourself right but actually it's your brain is hypersensitized for danger because it has been in so many unfamiliar places so when when that happens you, you have this struggle where your body is is holding on to this trauma it's holding on to this grief that that is not resolved or is not talked about i mean in some cases yes you are given that chance to but if you're growing up and you're not able to talk about it then where does that go? And often that will come out through different things, mental health struggles like depression, anxiety. And unfortunately that that can be really common. And I'm not saying that all TCKs are going to struggle with it. Some TCKs will never struggle with that because everyone is so different.
0: Mm. And I, I just wanted to mention that, I don't know, from our conversation, maybe we're assuming that oh, TCKs are definitely going to get be messed up adults. But there yeah. are definitely a lot of successful TCKs. Probably yeah. the most notable one I can think of is Barack Obama. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And
0: so you can absolutely come out of this TCK experience being successful, being normal, whatever that means. But it's all about just having these conversations, right, to yes. process feelings. And no matter what you go through, if you don't process the feelings, they can turn things negatively later in life, no matter, you know, where you are.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yes, we're definitely not saying that, yeah, it's it's a terrible thing. No, really good. And I wouldn't give it up for the world. But what's really important is that we learn to acknowledge things and we, we learn to find that language to talk about it so that if we do need to, we can address it when the time is right.
0: How has your experience been in terms of trying to unpack all of this?
1: It's been a real journey, and I don't think it's ever going to be a finished journey. Um, I think when I was a teenager, I wanted nothing to do with the term TCK. And maybe that's got something to do with the the idea that as a teenager, you don't want labels, right? That's the last thing you want.
0: Also, you were here in Singapore, right? And that would make you even more of an other.
1: Yeah, exactly. All you want to do is just be Singaporean, right? Yeah, but then I don't sound Singaporean. If I try to put it on my Lars and Liz and then my friends be like, aha, that's cute, but no. no. <laughs> so is that tension between trying to be the same, but also trying to be different, trying to maintain your sense of, of, of self, right? So it was only really in my mid-20s. And here's the interesting thing. The brain only really becomes an adult brain at age 23, 24. And that's when you start really processing things. And it was around then that I started to look back and go like, whoa, what was all, what was all that about? You know, What happened? Uh, Who am I? You know, where do I belong? I've spent half my life here and half my life overseas. Am I Singaporean? Am I Thai? No. Am I I Malaysian? No. What am I? And these questions really drove me on this journey of just seeking my own answers for this. Um, There definitely was a journey of therapy that I had to go on um, to deal with my own struggle with depression and anxiety that that came about from this feeling of never fitting in.
0: Can I ask you a question about that? Was... The therapy that you did, did they immediately tie it back to your TCK experience?
1: No. And it would definitely, I think looking back, would have been very helpful if they had some understanding of a TCK, because what it does give you is a bit of a shorthand for understanding certain struggles. Most people that I initially saw in my mental health journey would approach it from a view where they would... They they didn't think about third culture kid struggles, but I think the most effective therapy I've had has been with people who innately understand it, who might be TCKs themselves or have worked with TCKs because it just cuts out so much explanation, you know, they're able to understand it. And, And interestingly, if you look at many TCKs, they feel the most at home with other TCKs or other people of the same background because you don't need to explain yourself as much. I Did you feel that way among people who were quite similar?
0: absolutely. You don't have to explain why you have this indeterminate accent. Um, And it just makes sense that all your friends are all over the world and that you might have some attachment issues, (laughs) things like that. I think uh, you don't have to explain it and it's just so much easier that way. It's the same as maybe if you're Singaporean and you're with other Singaporeans and you don't have to explain about your culture and... In a way, it just—it's a shortcut for the brain. Less work, therefore, you feel more comfortable, right?
1: Because you're not having to constantly explain yourself and define your own existence, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's the—it's even more tricky. I think, at least for me, this is my opinion. In in the Asian cultures, as an Asian TCK going back to your to your home culture, you know, because I think a lot of cultures here also require the speaking of another language, right? And this might not be a language that you've learned. For me that was mandarin right I, I look like a chinese singaporean so people are going to approach me as a chinese singaporean but i have no idea what they might be saying in mandarin right and with that comes also a loss of all this this heritage and and a connection i couldn't speak to my grandfather because he only spoke chinese and so he passed away without without me ever really knowing him and and though people on me on the street who would speak to me in chinese and i'll say oh sorry i can't i can't understand it they'll be oh you should be ashamed of yourself um and yeah. Do you feel
0: a sense of loss as well? I guess yeah, you sure. don't have that language ability and therefore you're not fully able to relate. Yes. And I guess that's another thing that you have to grieve technically, right? But nobody knows that you're supposed to grieve a language or a culture, right? Nobody really talks about it.
1: Yeah. There's actually a really good poem uh, written by TCK uh, where he says, there was no funeral. because, and And he just repeats that line for so many different things. And you think, yeah. There was no funeral for the loss of language. How could you have a funeral? There's nothing visible about it. It's these hidden losses that you sort of carry with you that are really hard to put your finger on. And it's not about going around complaining about it, but it's, it's really about just identifying, hey, that's a thing. Yeah. And that happened.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we as TCKs hold a lot of this and we don't really talk about it. And I've been to a lot of international schools with hundreds of other TCKs and yet never talked about the experience of what we were all losing or at the same time and it's only now that i'm an adult that i notice i'm the only tck in a crowd that i notice i'm different that i notice that oh there's there are a lot of things i've lost like just one example is i don't really have childhood friends whereas my colleagues that i'm with they'll talk about they're meeting their primary schoolmate. And uh, I don't even know who my primary school mates are. I can't remember their faces. I can't remember their names. I can't find them. We probably would have nothing in common to talk about nowadays because we've lived such different lives. And that's just like one of many, many, many losses, right? And it's only now that I'm an adult that I'm starting to process these things. But it kind of makes sense. I'm like, oh, that's why I am that way because it kind of ties back to the fact that I had to say goodbye every three years to everybody I knew. So yeah, definitely this loss, the sense of unresolved grief. um, It's just good to have these conversations because by talking about it, you are able to process it yourself. Right.
1: Yeah. And as you're talking i'm just nodding away because i can completely i can completely understand what you're talking about yeah. yeah these these little losses right and and friendships and for me it was feeling on the fringes of things you know because i'm constantly having to move you're constantly the outsider right
0: yeah yeah and i guess even re- relating to conversations where maybe people have specific very specific cultural conversations and you don't know what they're talking about right mm-hmm. and you have to read up on it afterwards or just pretend you're you know what they're talking about.
1: Yeah, you'll often find people who are coming back to their home culture or even just moving between cultures, right, won't have the same pop culture references. And these are the things that connect us, right? Someone starts poke- talking about Pokemon, you know? You, you want to be able to jump in that conversation, but I never grew up in an environment with Pokemon, you know, so I couldn't access that. Um, and, and the thing is that if you feel like you're, you're on the fringes, then you can't really have these conversations because they don't really have the same lived experience, doesn't mean that one is better than the other. It just means they're completely different. And you'll often find younger TCKs, although they are not able to verbalize this, this loss, but they'll say things like, I'm actually finding it really hard to connect with people my age. Many people who are TCKs tend to be seen as a lot more mature growing up. And what's really interesting is that they often have a delayed adolescence. So, so for me, that was when I was 20, you know. So in, my, in my 20s, I was acting like a teenager. And that, that was why I was wondering, what's going on, right? What's wrong with me? Um, and the answer really, there's nothing wrong with you. You just need to go through these stages because you've always had to be the grown-up one. You've always had to put on that front that everything's going to be fine, yeah.
0: you know. And I guess for you as well, yeah. being in boarding school, living in a hostel, that's a lot of independence at a young age, isn't it?
1: It's pretty crazy. I think about five years old to be traveling by yourself, you know. I couldn't even tie my shoelaces. <laughs>
0: Was it scary? Do you still remember it?
1: Yeah, so boarding school is a whole other dimension to like the TCK experience, right? And many people have their memory of being left at boarding school. I don't. I can't remember. And it's really interesting that a lot of people will not remember the difficult times. It's a bit of a black hole. Um I think I was just excited to be with other children and to play, and and I've, growing up, I always like, oh yeah, this is the best time of my life. You know, we grew up in a jungle. You know, after three o'clock, we just go out and play, um, and there was it was just so much learning through play there and different system. Uh, but it's it's only later on when I look back as an adult, I go, oh okay, there's some issues there that also I need to address. You know, the ideas of abandonment of attachment. If these are not addressed, they feed into to our struggles with mental health. You know, grief needs witness. This is what this, this guy called David Kessler says. Grief needs community. It needs people to go like, to listen to you and go, yeah, you know, that that really sucks. That's really tough. I hear you. And it needs people around you who can sort of rally around you. But if you feel very alone in it, and you feel like people don't understand, which is, can be, often be the case if, if you feel very different. And it's very hard to express that grief, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I feel you there because especially when you're not around TCKs and you might be like, oh, this was really hard. But you were so privileged. You were able to travel so much. You had this and that. I've never played in a jungle. Like, what, what do you have to complain about? So I, I feel you. It's just everybody needs an outlet for whatever they're going through. Trauma is relative. And but it's very personal. Mm -hmm. Um, We can't compare. My trauma was worse than yours. Therefore, you know I'm entitled to feel this way, and you're not. So, so yeah. Ultimately, like no matter who you are or your experiences in life, you have to be talking about whatever it is that you struggled with. Yes. With people who give you that safe
1: space, right? Yes. Yeah. Safety is such a huge thing for. For, for TCKs, I mean anyone really, but for TCKs especially because if you are constantly in a place where things are unfamiliar, things will be unsafe for a while, right? And what's really important is that you find a place you feel safe, you find people that make you feel safe. And as you feel safe, you can start to process, your memories start to come back, you know, you feel comfortable enough to to tackle these things.
0: Um, I want to ask you about your Dissertation with art therapy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And how you use that to process what your TCK experience was like.
1: Yeah, I think everyone processes things differently. I think that's the understanding that we're coming to now, that everyone heals so differently. And as you said earlier about trauma, trauma is so personal. You can have two people getting the same experience, the same possibly traumatic experience, but one may not struggle with it as much as someone else. Because each of us will process it so differently. And I always tell people that the the gravity of other people's struggles in no way invalidates your own. Which means if someone else is struggling with something bigger, that doesn't mean yours any smaller. That doesn't make yours any smaller. You know? It, it is what, what's really important is that you acknowledge it. It's not that you're going around complaining, it's that you're naming it. And when you name it, you can start to process it. Right? So for me, I've realized that I process things by making. And for me, that's art. And what was really interesting in my training for art therapy was that for our master's thesis, we would do art-based research. When I started it, I knew just two things. Number one, I wanted to look at my own experience as a TCK and how that's affected me. And number two, I just wanted to make plates. <laughs> I had no idea why I wanted to make plates. <laughs> Maybe it's because I wanted to eat. But then, then, then all that is, is all the, the whole idea of how food is such an important thing for me because food represents culture. Food represents sitting together at a table and eating together and having community. And that's not something I realized then. And I just really had to trust that process. So I first started off trying to compile all my addresses because I thought, oh, actually, I'll, I'll draw my houses, right? So after I had compiled all my addresses and I counted how many there were, I think it was just too much for me. Psychologically, it was too close, and I couldn't draw. But what really was very helpful was that at the same time I was making plates, so I ended up just pivoting to that. And I decided, you know what, I'm just going to make a plate for each year of my life. I'm still learning how to do it, but I'm going to keep every single thing, whether it's squashed up, whether it's broken, I'm just going to keep it. So I kept it. I had no idea what I was doing still. But I was trying to trust the process. And this is what artists are trying to talk about, right? Being process-led. Whereas I think as a Singaporean, I'm very much trained to be, I want to like end goal. Tell me what, you know. So it, it it was such a journey. At the end of it, I laid out all these plates on the table, like a banquet style or rather boarding school style for me really. And I looked at it and there was this incredible synchronicity with the years of my life. Like the years that I had moved country were the years that, my plates are balled up. They're completely messed up, really. In the years I was really struggling with fitting in with my mental health, the plates were smashed and broken. And if you think about the metaphor of plates, right? And and what it means, what, what, what does it mean when there's a plate that can't hold? What does it mean when there's a home that doesn't feel safe, right? And I think looking back, it was an alternative timeline for me. And this is actually quite important now that I've read up about it and I, and I understand it and I've analyzed it, is that, Writing timelines is so important for, for TCKs because our experiences are very fragmented. And when it's fragmented, it's hard to get that sense of self. Right? And so it's really important that we are able to draw our timeline because then we're also accessing that part of our brain that processes the visual thinking. And so you can use art, you can use music. You know, do our own timeline. You know, you can use different colours for different countries. Take as long as you need, you put in the important information, when did you move? What are some important things that happened for you? And it's, it's, it's so incredible just to see it in one place. And that's a lot of what we do in art therapy. I think that's why I really enjoy being able to externalize things and have them down on paper and go like, whoa, okay, that was a thing. you know. But actually, it's not as big as it, I thought it was in my mind. It's on paper now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I like that you said. You have to externalize all the things that you've gone through in order to realize and take it apart from you. Um, I wanted to ask you, now that you're an adult, what do you think that parents, not necessarily your parents, but parents in general can do to help their kids process this experience of moving around as a third culture kid?
1: I think the misconception often when, when people hear others talking about TCK experiences, oh, they're trying to say it's not good, we shouldn't move at all, and that's not the truth. I mean... I know people are going to continue to move because that, that's the necessity of, of modern day life, really. But I think what's really important is that we take this information and we use it to inform our choices. So that doesn't mean not moving. It means how do we prepare our children for a move? Can we start talking about what are some things they're going to miss? Can we prepare it by asking about what are some things they want to bring along with them as transition objects? You know, does that mean acknowledging grief and hidden losses with them in ways that they can understand and having those conversations. And it's also about addressing yourself as an adult. What are you going through the transition, you know? So if you're able to do that, then you can support your children better. And if it's a case where these children are now grown up, how do you have these conversations about this with them? How do you encourage that in their own time to process these things if they want to process it? If you had come to me in my teenage years, I wouldn't want to have done this. I wouldn't have wanted to have the conversation. But now as, as an adult, I do. You know, and and who are the resources that they can do? You know, Does that mean using creative activities to try and draw timelines, for example? Right. You know, Or does it mean trying to find some community where you can talk to other people who are similar? These things are really important. I think just addressing them with, with your child. And there's some really great resources out there. Um, I've just been uh, looking at one. Uh, called TCK is a Gift to Care For by this Swedish TCK called Ulrika um, Ernvik. And she's a psychotherapist as well, has worked a lot with TCKs. And she lays out some really practical examples of, of activities that we can do uh, with preparing for transitions.
0: Could you elaborate on what she recommends to prepare for transitions?
1: Oh, that's that's a lot. but Just uh, give me one example. <laughs> so... She she talks about this idea of the transition bridge that there are several different emotions that are are going you're going through uh, in your transition, and it will happen in cycles if you're always moving, and it's it's really important to understand these emotions are all coming together, right? So, one thing that you can do as a parent is to start talking about it early. Sometimes we underestimate the fact that children are just going to go along with it, right? So if you can start talking about a move early enough so that you can start prepping for it, have conversations with your family over the dinner table, you know, so we can start talking about it together. They might not even be able to talk about it yet, but that's okay. At least it's in their consciousness, right? So that's one bit. There's another activity that she talks about, which is uh, she'll use in her therapy, which is the, the transition train. So it's just to, this is for families who might be looking back and trying to understand it. So you might imagine that you've got a train on a, on tracks, right? And it's passing through different stations, which are the different countries you're at. And as a family, you can think about what are some experiences or things that you wish you could have taken with you on that train, things that were left behind that you would have wanted to bring. And each one of you can put that on that train, imaginary, or maybe just playing with the actual toy train, you know? And if you can do that, if you're imagining things, that's working that part of the brain that's processing all these memories. And that can be really, really important because when we're imagining things, very similar parts of our brains light up in the same way that we're actually experiencing it.
0: Interesting. Whenever your parents said you guys were moving to another city, country, was it very sudden or did they kind of give you some transition period to to process it or to prepare for it?
1: I actually don't really remember. I just remember that we moved and that was about it. But there were definitely times when they would let us know, oh, we're gonna to go to Singapore at this time, we're gonna do this. And I remember even in coming back to Singapore, we were given a choice. Do you wanna come back to Singapore or do you wanna to go to another school for, for missionary kids? And at that time, I felt like I needed to say, yeah, let's go back to Singapore. Why is that? The thing is that many missionary kids, or I mean third culture kids, grew up with a sense of responsibility towards a certain system. And that means, for example, the mission organization, that means the diplomat, uh, diplomacy service, that means the company that your parents work for. Because when you are out there as expats kid, your parents' reputation depends on what you do as well. If you do something really big within that community, everyone's gonna know about it, and that affects your family. So in a way, we grew up being really responsible for them as well. And so if I feel this is the best thing for the family, I'm going to say yes, let's just do that. If I feel this is the best thing for you know my sister because she's coming back at a certain age for school, I'll say yes. And also at that age, you, what do you know you're agreeing to, right? You don't know. And I suppose parenting never has a guidebook, right? And it's about understanding now as an adult that I can't change the things that happen to me, but I can change how I respond to it. And that that's really important. It's not about... Growing up and laying blame left, right, and center is about taking responsibility for what happened. In the sense that I take responsibility for what I do to deal with it.
0: Very mature kid. Uh, it took a long
1: to... time to get there. Let me tell you this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm still, I'm still working my head around it. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: So, what kind of resources would you recommend for other TCKs? Are there any good books that you'd recommend, for example?
1: Yeah, I think the the seminal book for a lot of TCKs. Um is simply named Third Culture Kids, uh, and it's written by the people who originally started researching this um, this trend that they saw among people who are moving, and they noticed there there were a lot of similarities. And it's written by two researchers called David Pollock and Ruth Van Rieken, and it's been updated several times. Um, and that that's that's quite incredible to read. Uh, if it, it felt like they were talking about me for the first time, I suddenly had words to describe. And it felt really, really close. Um, and that, that's a great book to read. And that's a great introduction to to the concept of being a third culture kid. For those who are working w- with third culture kids or parents of or who might be helping them with mental health, there's, there's a book called um, Everywhere and Nowhere, Counseling the Globally Mobile. And you can go and check that out. And that's All by right. a counselor who, who is a TCK and who has worked with TCKs as well.
0: Um, okay, we'll add all of this in the show notes and link to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can check it out. There's definitely a lot of resources now, so much more than, than before. And it, it can be very easy to be overwhelmed by it. But I think just take it slow. Pick up the information that you do need for your time in your journey.
0: Right, right. and And you mentioned before as well, like having a therapist, if you feel like you need one, who would be able to understand the context of that, TCK experience, right?
1: Yeah. And that might not apply to everybody. And I think they're incredible counselors, they're incredible therapists who are able to understand that without having gone through that. And I think essentially what you're looking for is just that openness, right? That openness of, of their mindset to be able to understand where you're coming from. As a therapist myself, I always say, you know, try different therapists. I mean, the word shop around doesn't quite sound right here, but, you know, it's really important because it's like a relationship, you know, a friendship. You, you want to be able to get along. You're not making friends with them, no, but you do want to to find someone that you do feel comfortable with. So usually I recommend that you you try maybe one or two and, and, and see which is the best fit for you, really, because everyone has got different styles.
0: Right, and and you were saying it doesn't have to be necessarily talk therapy, but art therapy is yes. another way to externalize feelings which you don't have the words for. Um, I suppose there's other types of therapy too, body work, et cetera, where uh, you mentioned earlier, we store trauma in our bodies, right? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, creative therapy is a, a really great for rewriting narratives. And even without therapy, a lot of TCKs often will turn to, to creative activities to try and understand what's going on for themselves. There's a study made of um, TCK authors and musicians, and they found that many of them ended up writing about TCK experiences, fictional TCK experiences, but often ones that, that had all these little hints of that experience that, that they, they know really intimately.
0: Um, what's unique about the experiences of being an Asian TCK, you think, versus, I don't know, being a European TCK, being a British or American TCK coming into Singapore and living here and moving
1: back? I think there are lots of layers to that. Um, you have that... The idea of there being different types of TCKs. Say, for example, one that moves back to a home culture where they look the same as everybody else, but they aren't the same. Or say they move to a place where they look different, so everyone assumes you are different. And both of these can come with very different experiences in what we call re entering a culture. You know, And I think for, for Asian TCKs, there's often that, that barrier of language and of culture. Um, Often, it's a non-English language that most people will speak there. And so much of that is tied up into identity. And for a lot of them, if you're moving around, you don't really get that same proficiency in that language. So a number of my friends from boarding school who are Korean went back to Korea, but because they didn't have the proficiency in, in Korea, they found themselves sticking out like a sore thumb. And it was really hard for them to reintegrate. And many of them ended up moving to the US where they felt more comfortable, right? so. I do feel like there's often that challenge of language there and, and of culture because it can be very different from the one they're experiencing.
0: And I guess certain cultures are even more homogenous than other cultures. Yes. Singapore being, it's a, it's a hot pot of cultures, right? Uh, whereas I would say Japan, Korea are a lot more homogenous, I suppose way harder to reintegrate into. Yeah. So I guess yeah, there's yeah. added layers. Like, yeah.
1: For, for yourself, do you, do you feel like you struggled with language of your home cultures and things like that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, my Tagalog is pretty uh, lacking, uh, is one way to put it. And I think my vocabulary very limited to whatever my parents would tell me in the home. Like I know the vocabulary for, okay, we're having lunch, um, let's go. But when it comes to deeper conversations about life or about work, I wouldn't be able to partake. And it definitely uh, makes me question, oh, but how Filipino am I really? I found myself clinging to the culture in other ways. For example, in food, I think I'm pretty well versed in my Filipino food, part of my family heritage, but also, I guess, the closest way that I feel I can really cling to um, my culture, whereas I've met other TCKs who are completely opposite and reject the food or reject that part of the culture because they feel that it's at odds with their identity, right? How, How about you?
1: Yeah, I think food is such a central part of identity for me. I think maybe a lot of Asian TCKs. Mm-hmm. I'm generalizing here. Um, but it, it's because it's food is so central to to cultures here. And each culture has such different ways of approaching that food. Um, I found myself really getting more into Chinese food, Chinese-Singaporean food, when I moved to the UK as an adult, right? because that was part of trying to find something that was familiar. And I find food is sort of my transition object in that when I move it's always the food that gets me the most I would always want to eat the food that I used to have in my previous country so for example when I moved here from Thailand all I wanted to eat were fishbone noodles and ho fan because that was the most similar to what I had in in South Thailand which is where I was and I didn't want to eat anything else really and my family was just oh he's just being being very picky but looking back now I realized that was my child's way of trying to find something that he could control, you know, in, in a world where things are just changing, right? Everything's out of your control as a child. I think decisions have been being made by other people. This is the small thing that I could say, oh, I actually want to eat this food. You know, and it's, it's, I'm not surprised that a lot of TCKs get misunderstood. We can be a bit of a confusing bunch, but food is, I think, definitely quite central for me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It also kind of highlights how foreign the country you are in at that moment so just an example that I can remember when I moved to Switzerland, my whole family we just couldn't find white jasmine rice. Mm-hmm. Everywhere they served this like calrose rice, which tastes like pasta. It's not the same. It's not the same. Yeah. And you eat that with like Filipino food. It just something feels really off. And <laughs> it took a while before we finally found the Asian store uh, that actually served white rice or sold white rice. And until then, you know, it just really couldn't feel like home. Yeah, <laughs> little things like that—they they do accumulate. Even if it, as I'm recounting it, it sounds so trivial, but when everything else is different, you don't speak the language. Uh, I was for for a while, at that time when we moved there, we were one of the only Asians. Or I would say Filipino expats mm-hmm. in the entire mm-hmm. school, and I always felt like I was being stared at in the train because oh, Asian. <laughs> different. <laughs> and how
1: old were you, were you at that time that you I could was, recognize that?
0: I was 13 when I moved there. Wow. When so many things are out of your control, so many things don't feel like home. It's sometimes highlighted by these like tiny little things, whether it's the type of rice that you're eating and they all accumulate um, in however your experiences at that point.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a small things I think that sometimes make us feel at home. Um, everyone has their own sort of tradition. Some, I heard of one person when they got a sign, when they put up in their home, they know that this is their home, right? For some people's food, like me and, and, and you as well. And if you think about food, it being multisensory, it's engaging so many different senses. And that's what our experience of life is. It's not just thoughts only. It's not brain and body divorced. You know, they're, they're, they're still running together. And so food is smell, it's touch, you know, and all, all these things and, and the taste as well. These are the multi-sensory reminders of home so i'm not surprised
0: there's there's a question that we always want to ask our guests so my last question is how do you find calm for yourself
1: i think that's a really good question and that's a question definitely i ask myself a lot i think growing up i was always affected by the external circumstances because if things are always changing uh, you, you feel like you are is also changing and your place of calm is always changing and so over time what i've been trying to do is find that place of calm for myself and one of the things that i've been doing lately is just trying to find imagine a calm place whenever i'm in a difficult situation within myself of course i I won't share what that that calm situation is but it's definitely some sort of visualization that you can do imagining you you're, you're somewhere calm somewhere that makes you feel calm And being able to go to that place when around you, things don't feel as calm. So I feel like calm often can also be an internal thing.
0: Such an interesting answer and so interesting to see how linked it is to your being a TCK and you finding a place that's calm. So thank you for sharing that, Josh. And thank you so much for this conversation today definitely beneficial for myself as well as hopefully many others out there who are you know struggling with finding belonging sense of place in this world um, whether or not they've had a TCK experience or whether they've just experienced unpredictability throughout the years that they've grown up so thank you for that
1: well thanks for having me it's been a joy to have a conversation about it
0: Thank you for listening to Calm Conversations. If you liked today's conversation, make sure to follow this podcast. We have a lot more interesting conversations lined up, dealing with many different aspects of mental health from an Asian cultural lens. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Telegram, or Facebook to find out when we're releasing our next podcast episode or hosting our next talk. You can look us up as Calm Collective Asia or go to our website www.calmcollective.asia. This podcast is supported by the National Youth Council, the Youth Action Challenge, and Youth Collab. Also, a huge thank you to Snakeweed Studios who are helping us record and produce this podcast. See you next time. Until then, stay calm.